The reading this morning is taken from Acts chapter 9, verses 20 to 31, and that's on page 1103 in the Pew Bibles. Saul in Damascus and Jerusalem. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who caused havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. But they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul, on his journey, had seen the Lord, and that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. That song takes me back. Takes me back to school, actually. I remember um, having an assembly from somebody came in, uh, and uh, he brought a big ghetto blaster. Uh, it, that's what they were called in those days, wasn't it? And uh, tried to get the, the whole of the school to sing Be Bold, Be Strong. And, of course, we were all secondary school uh, you know, looking at our feet, really. But they gave it a go. <laughs> uh, anyway, good morning, everyone. Um, it's great to, to be with you. We've reached uh, the last of um, our sermon series on Acts, uh, Church and the Spirit. And we've seen that the power of the church to be the church comes uh, from the Spirit of God. Uh, and uh, we've uh, not only seen that uh, we are a, a believing community, but that we are a believing and commissioned community. That's what we are, to go and tell people about the good news of Jesus. And when we do that, we will see the effect of that. And this morning's passage, we in a way see the, see the, the summary of all that we, Chris was just telling us about. Uh, and there are four things I want to focus on. Uh, The effect of us doing this is that there will be disruptive amazement. There will be a painful backlash. There will be a need for a radical welcome. And there will be a a time for us to refocus. 
Before we look at those, let's just bow our heads and our, our hearts and come before the Lord and ask him to help us. Father, thank you for that song, to be bold and to be strong. And Father, as we look at your word now, we pray that your spirit would really show us how to do that, how to be your believing, commissioned community that walks in the power of the Spirit. Please show us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. So first of all, there'll be this disruptive uh, amazement. Do keep your Bibles open if you've got one in front of you. Verse 20 says, At once uh, he, Saul, began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. At once. This is a 180-degree turnaround, isn't it, in uh, Saul. He's gone from breathing out murderous threats, trying to kill Christians, and now he's, he's defending Christ and proclaiming Jesus and being a, a witness. Maybe he didn't know everything that, uh, about Jesus yet, but it was such a transformation in his life, he just couldn't stop but tell others about Jesus. And verse 21 says that all those who heard him were astonished. They were literally amazed. They were ecstatic. They were, couldn't believe their, their eyes uh, at what was going, with thrill and wonder at what they were, this, uh, were seeing. And it is often said, isn't it, that new Christians are often the, the most um, excited about telling people about Jesus because they know how Jesus has turned their life around. Uh, and uh, they just want to, to tell others about it. I remember that experience um, when I first went to university, and uh, somebody just two doors down from me it, um, became a Christian. He became a Christian. And this was a guy who, who, who I, I mean, was a, was a proper lad. I mean, a, a laddish lad. Um, used to go out uh, a lot, and uh, he'd have quite a few late-night visitors, uh, and, uh, um, and some friends from the Lawyers Christian Union uh, witnessed to him, and he gave his life to the Lord, and his life was turned around instantly, and he started witnessing to me. I mean, I was only two doors down, and I'd been a Christian a few years, and he'd already been knocking on my door. <laughs> it was fantastic. When I heard this, like Luke says here, I was astonished. And people were astonished. Why were they astonished? Why was I astonished? Because of of all the people um, to become a follower of Jesus was Saul. Verse 21, the one who was going around from house to house trying to destroy the, the, the Christians. But you see the power of God here, don't you? Through the Spirit of God, it was disruptive in a sense wasn't it Um, but praise God it was disruptive Um, I suppose the question there for us isn't it do we want to see that disruptive amazement I think I could put up with a bit of disruptive amazement in St John's uh, to see this happen in our midst wouldn't it be great as we see people transformed by the grace of God so there, disruptive amazement. But then there, there will be, um, there will be a painful backlash. It's the hard reality, isn't it, of being a Christian? Um, verse twenty-three. After many days had gone by, 
Uh, and there's some uncertainty about exactly how long that is. So let's um, part that. Um, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him, to kill Saul. So he had to escape, doesn't it? It tells us that he escaped through the night, down the wall, in a, in a basket. And it's fascinating to me that his ministry began in such a sort of humble, lowly kind of setting. It just feels very kind of weak and, and, and sort of feeble as a beginning. I mean, in our day and age, you know, if you want to start a ministry, you don't do it like that, do you? You, you know, you have uh, a media campaign, you have um, Twitter, and you have a conference, and you, you make a stunt or something. That's had to make a big thing. But here, it's not like that. Saul is ushered into ministry when no one's looking, down the side of a wall, in a basket. It's how God does things. It's amazing. And notice in verse 25, it says that he has followers. With such a threat of death, how was it that he was able to, to have uh, followers? It's an interesting question, isn't it? Because... I think it is because the expansion of the, the gospel has always been and always will be about um, people sharing with one another, not through a kind of glossy kind of big media campaign and big stunts, but just through individual followers telling other in- people, making other followers, friends to friends, family to family, colleague to colleague. Even if Christians become increasingly marginalized in society, we do have all this responsibility. We have a possibility of just talking to the person next to us, haven't we? So the people we meet, the people around us, to tell them of the sure and certain hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Because that's what it is we have. We cannot hide behind a kind of slogan of, I'll just let my actions do the talking. We are called to speak We are called to witness, and we're all called to do it. And the reality is that at times, there will be a painful backlash. It may not be like Saul, although that may be possible, but it may come in other other guises. It might come in strained family relationships as you prioritize working with for Jesus, or, or, or in, in different ways, or, or it might be uh, through false accusations or misunderstandings about the Christian faith, or just a sheer derision that, that can come, a kind of a, a, a mocking. Um, this came to home to me uh, a few years ago when I was watching, uh, and I don't know whether you've seen it, the, the Tracy Ullman show. It was Broadcast a few years ago, I think a couple of series on BBC. Has anyone seen that? Did anyone watch that? No. So you're all on Netflix, aren't you? And what's, you know, I'm still on BBC. <laughs> anyway, I thought it was quite good. And it, she does these sketches. It's a sketch show, basically. And um, in one of it, she plays a Christian called Patricia Hughes. Uh, and um, there's several of these sketches. In one particular one, she's interviewed for a job at a polymer factory. I don't, I don't know why a polymer factory. What's a polymer factory, anyway? Um, and all, <laughs> it's a comedy show. Anyway, all, all was going well in this interview. She was doing really well. 
and looks like she's getting the job. And then in the sort of discussion at the end, the sketch, uh, she just happens to mention, mention, as a Christian, I find it's really refreshing that we're being able to talk like this and openly. And then suddenly, just by mentioning the word Christian, it all goes quiet. And the characters of the interviewee, the interviewers, just changes and they, they become a bit fearful and about step back and um, she's basically not going to get the job, I think, is the, the crux of the sketch. The, the, the emphasis is that because she's a Christian, she's a bit weird. That's basically the plot. And there's a series of those in... Um, the comedy show. Comedy often conveys, though, doesn't it? Something we just can't often acknowledge. Uh, and to be a Christian, sometimes to follow Jesus, is considered to be a bit weird by many in society. To hold beliefs and values of Jesus will often mean a painful backlash. And, you know, we need to prepare for that. and We need to understand that. There may be nervous laughter from friends and colleagues. We may be branded as a bit weird. So we need to not be alarmed at it, as if something strange was going on. This was the reality then, and it could well be the reality now and in the future, for a church that's empowered by the Spirit. Thirdly, there uh, will be the need for radical welcome. Verse 26, when he saw Cain to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. It's kind of a sad moment, isn't it, in the church? Um, but I kind of under, it's an understandable sad moment. Um, Saul can't seem to join the church. He can't come. Where's the Christ-like spirit of welcome and generosity and love? But thankfully, we're introduced to the person of Barnabas here. Verse 27, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had been, the, been seen the Lord, sorry, and that the Lord has spoken to him and how he preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. You can see what Barnabas is doing here. He's following up a new Christian, isn't he? Uh, and he's getting to know uh, this uh, man and bringing him, him into the church family. It's true, isn't it, that very few of us find it easy to go along to a new group of people that we don't know. And especially if that group all sort of seem to know each other already. Perhaps you should do an experiment sometime. Go to a place where nobody knows you, and maybe even another church or, or some place where there's, you're on your own, you, you're new. We forget what it's like to be new. And the church should be the best and the easiest place to go. We should be welcoming, but often we f- actually aren't. Now, some might say, well, we have the welcome team, we have... Uh, the professional uh, um, people who, who do that, you know, the job of the vicar, he, he's the universal handshaker at the door. Um, 
But the truth is, it actually should be all of our job, all the time, to be welcoming from all sides, from the front, from the back, during the week, at different places, at different times, looking out to be radically welcome that goes beyond the superficial. Not just about a Sunday thing. And so here we have Barnabas not only welcoming Saul, but befriending him, really getting to know him, because he went to the apostles, the other apostles, and told them about, about Saul's story. And that must have meant that Saul, uh, sorry, Barnabas spent time with Barnabas, listening to him, getting to know his story, and going beyond, and getting deeper, and understanding, and then taking him to the others and bringing him in. So that might be for us, isn't it? The need to go further. It's not just about a smile and a a how are you today. It's about getting to know one another's stories and interacting at a deeper level. Perhaps the reason we don't take people to ourselves in this way is because we know that it's actually quite costly. It requires us to spend quite a lot of time with people. It's actually a burden in some ways, isn't it? When you think about it, I might not, have to do, might not be able to do this in order to do that. It's quite radical. That's why it's a radical welcome. It draws on our patience. It draws on our, our resources and our time. And COVID, yes, has meant that we've not been able to do it in the same way. That it, made it meant that it was harder, but now we need to do it and start doing it again and doing it more. So, Barnabas brought Saul, the new convert, to the others. Do we have that deep B factor, that, that Barnabas factor? The church here or anywhere won't grow unless we do have this. I was reminded of a, a poem um, I heard called Good Morning, and it's based on coming to church. And it, it, it goes like this. She stands by the church door in a porridge-colored door... A co- sorry, I'll start again. She stands by the door, the church door, in a porridge-colored suit, handing out hymn books like tickets. I pay on entry... Perhaps she smiled when she opened the door for me, but I couldn't be sure. I go down the unfamiliar aisles with strangers looking at the backs of strangers. We're all on the same bus, travelling the same road. Her leathery handbag may be packed with 60 years of love, joy and pain, but I may never know. Instead, we'll pass again at the door and say good morning. It's got to go beyond that, hasn't it? And most of us forget what it's like to, to be new, and I was reflecting on that myself and making my think, myself think of times when I've been new and what that's like. And I remember when I moved to Scotland when I was 13, from England, I moved to Scotland, standing in the playgrounds, on my own, with nobody to talk to, feeling very vulnerable, without a clue where I'm going, not being able to understand the local dialect, (laughs) waiting, hoping, 
that somebody might draw alongside. There will be people here, even this morning, that maybe feel that same way. Let's not miss the opportunity to have this welcome, to embrace, to draw alongside. And that doesn't come from a a sort of a, a command, you ought to do it, you ought to be radically welcome. It should overflow as something that we already are as um, brothers and sisters in Christ because of what we have experienced in the gospel. Because the gospel is a radical welcome, isn't it? Although we were enemies of God, the Bible says, God has come to us in the person of Jesus Christ and died for us so that we could be friends with God. That's the good news, isn't it? And Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. Don't underestimate this ministry of Barnabas. I've laboured it deliberately because I think it's so important. It was immense. Verse 29 says they, the apostles took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. They started off, we didn't want him, but finished that they go with him and send him off. And all because Barnabas radically welcomed. So there's a challenge, isn't there, for for us as a church? And then finally, as we're this believing commission community, there will be this time for us to refocus. We need to do that from time to time, to refocus. What are we about? What, what, What are we doing here at St. John's? Are we just having a kind of jolly time when we meet? What are we really about? We've had 16 weeks of church and the Spirit. And what we do here in verse 31 is we reach the second of six marker posts. I mentioned this before. Luke puts these marker posts every so often through Acts to summarize what's going on and what it's all about. And we have one here in verse 31. It's like an editorial note, if you like. The church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. That means it was built up. It was edified. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, there's the empowering for the church to be the church, it increased in number. It multiplied. And we need to do this rechecking, don't we? This refocusing every so often. I was thinking about that. If you, um, if you can think back to um, the last time you were on a long haul flight, which might be quite a long time ago, <laughs> remember those days. The f- a long haul flight. Um, the flight doesn't just leave uh, London Airport uh, and London Air Traffic Control and then just go off into the night kind of hopefully going to arrive in Singapore somewhere. When a, when a plane takes off, it, it um, does regular check-ins in air traffic control in different places as it goes. So it gets transferred into French traffic control, German, da-da-da, Turkey, wherever it might be, Arabia. Regular intervals, it checks in the plane. Why is it doing that? So that it knows where it's going, that it isn't going off after the Arctic Circle or something. Regular, constant checking in. And that's what, what 
Luke is doing here with these six times throughout Acts. He wants regular check-ins. Is this what's happening? Acts 1.18. It's almost as if um, Luke is saying, flight Acts 9.31. You see what I'm doing there? Flight 9.31. Okay, it's heading for Jerusalem. Check-in. Ping. Judea, ping. It's heading Samaria, ping. To the ends of the earth. Greenwich, ping. My workplace, ping. Wherever I might find myself, checking in constantly. Where are we going? What are we doing? Why are we doing it? Are we staying on course? We're going to be doing a bit of that in the next couple of weeks and months as a church and the leadership, thinking just through that. Are we checking in? And churches often, we often sometimes think that we're doing fine because we're just doing a lot of stuff and we're going to put a lot of stuff on and, and it, it sounds great. But sometimes we don't know why we're doing it and, and where we're going. It reminded me of the time we went to the, uh, the, the driver's range down in Greenwich, you know, the golf driving range, with, um, for Matt, Matt Lockwood, who was our youth worker. We went there for his leaving do, and we just smacked some balls. And it was a great feeling, but we didn't know where we were hitting them towards. They were just flying off, often couldn't see them, the only thing that we were suddenly got a target was, you know, the, the guy who sweeps up all the balls in, is covered in a big um, tractor thing with a, a net over him. Well, basically, we just decided to try and hit that <laughs> with the balls. It wasn't very kind, I suppose. But he was protected. But you get the point. We're just smacking it into the air with nowhere to aimlessly. But we don't want to be like that as a church, do we? Doing smacking lots of things out there because we're doing it and it's, it's fun and it seems good, but is, are we going in the right direction? As a commissioned, believing community empowered by the Spirit, it's an important question we must keep asking ourselves so that we're strengthened and we multiply and when that happens, we get this disruptive amazement, this painful backlash, need for a radical welcome, but constantly needing to refocus. Let's pray, shall we? Father God, we don't want to be aimless. We just don't want to be doing stuff because it's stuff. We want to be doing what you call us to. We want to be that believing, commissioned community. We pray that you would show us um, how we're to do this. Please guide us and give us your direction, that we may be a church empowered by your Spirit, seeking to be strengthened and to be multiplied. And give us that real heart of welcome, that we may be radically welcoming despite any backlash or difficulty. We pray that you'll fill our hearts with the joy of serving you. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.